Hello, my podcast friends. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for being part of our Life Over Coffee community. This is episode 356, 356. The title of it is Response to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, led by Mark Driscoll, episode four. What I'm doing is I'm reviewing episode four in the Christianity Today series, podcast series, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I'm doing this because I've had many questions about it. It is highly po- uh, popular among uh, Christians, uh, but yet there are things that I have heard in this podcast series that's troubling to me, and so I had this this tension, should I communicate these things or not, and I have chosen uh, to do so, and so I am on episode four of their multi-part series. Now, in episode four, Christianity Today does warn the listeners that they may want to pre-screen this specific episode due to the sexual nature and the language of it. And I fully, fully uh, affirm, I, I fully concur that that is something that you might want to do. If you're listening to this series with little ears in the room, I would appeal to you to listen to it first by yourself and then determine if this is something that uh, is ready for uh, your younger audience. It is a gross episode, at least the first half of it. And it may leave you the way it left me, honestly, just feeling dirty after hearing it. And so there's your warning, and I trust that you will uh, take heed, and if you, if you need to, just pre-screen. The key idea in this episode is, why was the message so popular when the messenger was so flawed? Now, this is an in-depth question that they are asking. Because the truth is, every messenger is flawed. I am flawed. You are flawed. Christianity Today, Mike Hosper is flawed, and so is Mark Driscoll. There is nobody out from under or separated from the flawed group. And so we are all broken image bearers to varying degrees. Therefore, because God has chosen to use the agency of humankind to communicate the wonderful message of Christ, then God has no other choice but to use flawed individuals. And so when Christianity Today asks this question in this episode, why was the message so popular when the messenger was so flawed? It is something that we want to not just put in the context of Mark Driscoll, who is flawed as well, but we want to think about ourselves and make as many applications as appropriate as you listen through this episode. And I trust that as I work through this review, uh, it will help you to make those personal applications. For me, the question is not so much about the messenger being flawed. For me, is more about which way is the person leaning? Which way are they heading? Are they running toward Christ or running from Christ? Are they leaning into Jesus or leaning away from Jesus? When I do counseling, I'm not as interested in the mistakes, the sins, the problems, the situational difficulty that the person is in. I am interested. I do want to understand. But there is a greater question here. 
the person that I'm talking to, the person that I'm trying to help, are they running toward Christ or are they moving away from Christ? That is the bigger and the more vital question because if they are leaning away from Christ, then there's very little that you can do. But if they're leaning into Jesus, then you can really you really have something in front of you that you can work with and you can help them. And so as we interact with this question, why was the message so popular when the messenger was so flawed? And as you make personal application, the more important question is, which way are you heading? Are you closing the gap between you and Jesus, or are you widening the gap between you and Jesus? And so as I review this episode number four from Christianity Today, I will just interact with those two words, the message and the messenger. Why was the message so popular when the messenger was so flawed? Now, the title of episode four is, I am Jack's Raging Bile Duct. Now, that's an interesting title for an episode, and it comes from the movie The Fight Club. Now, the irony is not lost on me of what uh, CT has done, like episode three, episode four. The title of episode three, the one I just finished reviewing, was titled, Have You Read Your Bible? Ringo. That title comes from the movie Pulp Fiction. This title here in episode four, I Am Jack's Raging Bile Duck, that comes from the movie Fight Club. Here's the irony, is that CT is critiquing a crass, crude dude, but yet they're using titles for their episodes that come from crass, crude movies. And there's an element of the pot calling the kettle black here, and it would be it would be better if CT took a milder approach in their communication uh, rather than being like Mark. It would be better if they were different from him. Now, I haven't seen Pulp Fiction or The Fight Club. Do not recommend them, but I know enough about those two movies to know what they are, and I thought the titling of Episode 3 and Episode 4 were unfortunate. All right, so let me interact uh, with the big question in this episode, why was the message so popular when the messenger was so flawed? I have seven things that I want to put before you. The first one is that the episode opened up with Mike Cosper talking about William Wallace, and that is a pseudonym that Mark Driscoll used on a message board to say harsh, unkind, sexist, and hyperbolic things to the attendees or members of Mars Hill Church. Now, let me translate what I just said to you. Mark lied for more than a decade about who he was to communicate things that were harsh, crass, crude, insensitive, and degrading. He perpetuated this lie for many years, which speaks to his hubris as well as a desensitized conscience. You see, nobody knew that Mark was posing as someone else on the Mars on a Mars Hill message board. There's a couple of thoughts there, and maybe I'll frame my first thought into a question. Can you imagine your pastor doing that? Now, I trust that you can't, but if your pastor has no problem posing as somebody else to say harsh, crass, crude, insensitive, and degrading things, then I just strongly appeal to you to find another pastor in another local church. But I know you can't imagine it, and neither can I. This is just kind of mind-boggling, talking about 
the messenger, why was the message so popular and the messenger so flawed? This is seriously flawed, but there's a deeper question, a second thing that I want to draw attention here, and that is a desensitized conscience. I mean, if you keep living a lie over and over and over and over again, eventually your conscience will stop responding to you. Your internal moral thermostat, your inner voice, conscience, co-knowledge, that inner voice that God gives everyone made in the image of God to alarm us, to help us to discern between right and wrong. And if we can continue to live a lie over and over again, eventually our conscience will go mute. It will, it will start by becoming dull, and then it will eventually harden. And it just leaves me to want to think, what in the world has happened or did happen to Mark Driscoll's conscience that he saw this as being okay, that this is a cool thing to do or the right thing to do? And it, it raises a huge concern about the messenger specifically to his conscience. But then one final point that I do want to make is that there is a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us. None of us are perfectly transparent, and I'm not suggesting that we should be perfectly transparent to everybody, but because we are fallen creatures, there is a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us, and the temptation to be a poser to whatever degree, it does lie resident within us. And so the big takeaway from this first point is to what degree are we posing? Are we pretending to be something that we're not, that we are perpetuating a lie? Because the conscience that can be desensitized with Mark Driscoll can also be desensitized with us. And then the second thing, as I alluded to in the opening, and I don't mean to say this uncharitably, but there's really no way you can get around it when you listen to this podcast, and that is that Mark Driscoll is a gross man, a gross person. I hope it would be more accurate to say that Mark Driscoll was a gross person and that he has changed. I do not follow Mark Driscoll, and, and I never have, but the collection of sound bites that Christianity Today puts together, the case is objective, that he is gross. And I'm aware that they could be cherry-picking these sound bites and to make their case that he's a gross person. But if you have a lot to select from, which they do, and throughout this entire series up through episode four, there's a lot of statements that they have of Mark talking, and it's a lot of information, and I don't know any other way to say it, but you feel dirty after listening to this this episode and and also to varying degrees to the to the first 3 and so the application that we can make to ourselves is i trust your pastor's not that way that he's not a, a gross person uh, that it, point number one that he's not living a lie working under a pseudonym posing as someone that he's not Point number two, that he's not a gross person by the language that he uses, but more importantly, that we aren't either, that we aren't gross people. 
And that if people pulled out, if someone pulled out the sound bites of our lives, that it, it wouldn't make an argument that would leave us with no other conclusion that that we're kind of gross. And so we want to make sure that our communication follows the template that Paul gave us in 429 uh, that we use uh, of Ephesians, that we use our words to build uh, build each other up. I do want to ask a question here before I move on. Uh, when you listen to someone who talks like that, are you willing to rebuke them? For example, if a po- person tells you a dirty joke or an off-color joke, are you willing to confront them and rebuke them? Mark needed that in his life. He needed somebody with courage and perseverance, and actually he needed many people. And I realize that they do talk about some individuals who were not afraid of Mark, and perhaps uh, there's no other way for this to go but the way that it did go. I have been in pastoral context serving with a pastor who was very much like Mark Driscoll, and there was nothing that you could do. Uh, any confront- confrontation or rebuke that you put forth was was met with just the, the most vile kind of harshness that you can imagine. So maybe ultimately there was nothing you can do because, again, if you have a person who's living a deceptive lie, posing to be someone else, who's a gross individual by the language that he used, uses, his conscience is desensitized, maybe the best thing you could do uh, is leave under those circumstances. The third point I want to make, which is another irony in this series, is that Mark was seeker-sensitive. And I find it kind of humorous because he hammered Rick Warren uh, early on in Mark's ministry for being seeker-sensitive when Mark was coming out of the emergent movement in the late 90s and moving into Reformed theology. He spoke against seeker-sensitivity, but yet he became seeker-sensitive because he adapted himself uh, to the hearers of his message, primarily young urban dwellers who love tattoos, piercings, and black clothes. Now, I am not making a commentary about people who have tattoos, piercing, and black clothes. I hardly care. I'm just saying that there was a, there was a demographic uh, that Mark adapted himself to, and he became seeker-sensitive and spoke to that demographic, which does raise the question. I mean, if he's a deceptive man, which he it seems to be affirmed by this episode, uh, and for him to uh, pose as someone else, for him to pose uh, for a bunch of young urban dwellers in Seattle, Washington, that would not be a surprise or a stretch. Wendy Alsop, now everybody in this church was not young urban dwellers who love tattoos, piercings, and black clothes. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Uh, for example, when Wendy Alsop said, uh, if you could get through his communication style, he preached the Bible. That's that tension there, uh, the message and the messenger. If you could get through the communication style of the messenger, uh, then he preached the Bible. That's the message. She said it another way. She said he pokes you in the eye with the sermon title, but the actual content was life-giving. And I love her term, life-giving, I, I love it even more than preach the Bible in this sense, in this context. Preach the Bible's great, obviously. It stands on its own. 
But life-giving is talking about the effect. She's not saying just he preached the Bible, but the effect of preaching the Bible was life-giving. Now, that creates that tension. How in the world can this be when the messenger is as flawed as this poser? He pokes you in the eye with the sermon title, but the actual content was life-giving. That is a phenomenal statement. And I would just say to you that if you are in this church environment, if you have a heavy-handed authoritarian pastor who preaches the Bible, if you have a crude dude who is preaching the Bible, I would just appeal to you because that's not how it should be. That's not the way that it should be, and I would appeal. There's something wrong with the messenger. It's not just a flawed person like you and me, but it is a deeply flawed person, and I would do as much necessary investigation as possible and then make a decision, which could ultimately mean you need to get out of that environment because we can't be so pragmatic that the results are so important to us that we overlook these kinds of flaws that Christianity Today is putting forth. Now, I do sense through this series up to uh, through episode four that the appeal of the church, why people liked it, there are two things that keep coming through, and you see this or hear this in episode four. One is, it's different from all my past church experiences Seattle or Mars Hill was so different from anything that I was familiar with in my church life. And you will hear people talk about, I've been a Christian for decades, and we landed in Mars Hill. And one guy talked about moving from Everett, Washington, down to Seattle, Washington, because it was just so different, and it just had that kind of appeal. And so you hear that. And then the second thing that you hear is the pragmatism. It's working. It's working. This works, and overlooking the flaws. And so it's a life-giving message, as Wendy Alsop said. It's working, and you just have to get used to being poked in the eye. And this is what Mark Driscoll said when he was talking to Robert Schuller on stage at the Crystal Cathedral. He said, I get excited. I preach for an hour, uh, and there was something else. He said, oh, loud. I preach loud. And he said, it's working. And you hear that pragmatism bleeding through. Now, I've talked about pragmatism already in a prior episode, but there is this other feature that many of the interviewees mentioned. The appeal was how different it was from how they had experienced church in the past. And I would say that this is an overreaction. Some Christians can be so disillusioned by the state of the church, and I get it, I really do get this, that when someone like Driscoll shows up, there can be an appeal without discernment. And when you switch off discernment, you will be susceptible to anything. And that's part of what I've been saying already, that it's a life-giving message, but he pokes me in the eye. You have to deal with the poke you in the eye. What does that mean? What does it speak uh, to the preacher, to the pastor's character? The problem with overreacting or comparing a past experience with a new experience, any person who comes out of a disappointing season, a bad church experience, a bad marriage, a toxic school environment, 
an employment situation. When you come out of those disappointing seasons, you may succumb to the temptation to overreact or react impulsively, and you can make the wrong decision. And you hear this comparison because when you spend a lot of time comparing your church to another church, that is a problematic thing to do. Well, my church is better than the other church. My body of Christ is better than that body of Christ. But you hear that, and if if that's how we are setting ourselves up or why we attend our church, then we're basing it off of a bad past experience. Well, then there are really more questions that we need to ask ourselves than just, this is better than what I had in the past. Is it right? Is it is it a biblical church? Is the pastor of high character? There are many other questions that we need to ask. But Mark was speaking to their hearts. Uh, Mike Cosper talked about this group, men specifically. He said they were lonely, fearful, ill-equipped, and fruitless. And Mark challenged them, albeit in a, a crass way. And thus, he was different from their past experience. When someone can put a new spin on something that resonates with you, there will be a temptation to drink all of the Kool-Aid. And that's where we cannot set aside our discernment. Now, I do want to make a point here about following people and submitting people and trusting people. Do you know that is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And so I'm not throwing total shade on this congregation. I'm not speaking down or condemning any person who chose to be part of Mars Hill Church because there is an element here. Part of what it means to be made in the image of God implies that you want to follow, you want to submit, and you want to trust. Adam and Eve were made that way. There was something in them that wanted to follow God, submit to God, trust God. And then God built another hierarchy of husband, wife, and and children, and it's already in them to want to follow, submit, and trust. And that's why a wife is it's in her to follow, to submit, and trust. It's in children to follow and submit and trust. God put that in us, whether it's following Him or other hierarchies. And then you have a local church that has a hierarchy, and we're wired to follow, submit, and trust. And so these things are good things, and uh, it is something that you want in a local church unless a narcissist shows up at your door. Then you start following and submitting and trusting him. Mark had a quick mind and insight into the human condition, and he he saw these lonely, fearful, ill-equipped, and fruitless individuals, and he packaged the solution in dark and crass ways. And in the beginning, they just focused on the features. I mean, it resonates, and it has an edgy appeal, and it's different from my past church experience. And so it was no big deal to overlook the flaws of the messenger, And by the way, every person who has ever dated anybody has had this experience. We always overlook the flaws and focus on the features. 
but we cannot set aside discernment, whether it's someone that we're dating or a church that we belong to. Now, as far as Mars Hill's concerned, Mark Driscoll had a church planting niche, and his church planting niche was a masculinity-centered church. And he would say it this way, or they put it out this way in, in this episode, if I can get the husband, I can get the wife. If I can get the wife, I can get the children. If I get the children, I got the family. And so the target audience was the husband. That was one of the reasons that Mark would use the pseudonym William Wallace. He's a man. He's a man. And he focused on the men, knowing that if I can capture the men's hearts, I will get their wives and get their children. It was a niche approach to building a church, a masculinity-centered church. Rather than the exaltation of Christ, it became niche-driven to men. And many churches make this mistake. They focus on something other than Christ and the authority of God's Word. It's one of the things that I do appreciate about uh, John MacArthur is that all of these years, I know there are those who decry him. I get it. I understand. But one thing that he has done through the years is the exaltation of Christ, standing on the authority of God's Word with no frills. And he has endured the test of time. And God has used him in a powerful way. Mark Driscoll chose another approach. He presented himself as a man's man, and he pressed that message into the DNA of the church, particularly the men. And he was answering the lonely, the fearful, the ill-equipped and fruitless problems of the men. I am lonely inside and I can't connect with anyone. I am fearful. I don't know how to lead my wife. I'm afraid to lead my wife. And even if I wanted to lead my wife, I'm not equipped to do so. And I feel that my life is just fruitless. Mark spoke into that and they loved it. And so the question is, if Mark was so bad, why would the people speak so positively about their Mars Hill experience? And you hear this throughout these episodes. You have to deal with this juxtaposition of the question of this podcast episode. If the message was so popular, why was the messenger so flawed? You hear people even today, Wendy Alsop said it, life-giving their lives were changing. And so what you will find or could find in a church like this is a dichotomy between the leaders and the followers. The followers were changing and growing and maturing. They were also building relationally with each other. It's kind of similar to the employer and the employee. The employees have lives that are not necessarily connected to or even interested in the employers. They build relationally on the plant floor, employee to employee, and they don't have a lot of intersecting with the employers. Well, that's what was happening at Mars Hill. Mark was bearable. He was tolerable. We will accept him. We will accept the, the eye-poking because we, as a followership, as a congregation, these messages are changing us. They loved what was happening to their families. The men loved it. The wives loved it. The families loved it. And so what you do is you build your unique community of friends, 
in your church. And you just live within your own community, but you could lose interest in what's happening behind the scenes. Now, that is a dangerous church dynamic. You want to build a community within your local church of friends, your five, your ten fam, uh, friends, your three, four, five, six families, but you do not want to uh, create a dichotomy to where you have no interest Uh, where you're not thinking about the church leadership or you have no involvement with the church leadership, but they had a clear dichotomy in this church, our lives are changing. And so there was almost an element of disinterest of what was going on at the leadership level. And now this brings me, I want to close with this, because again, CT asked the question, why was the message so popular and the messenger so flawed? There is a conflation mistake that Christianity Today makes consistently through these episodes thus far. For example, in this particular episode, they talk about Mark's complementarian worldview. Now, I do not know how Mark taught it, because again, I I'm, I'm just wasn't a follower. But the worldview is biblical. Why is the message so popular? Because the worldview, the message is biblical. A complementarian worldview is biblical. If you're listening to this series from Christianity Today, I just appeal to you that you don't conflate a bad pastor with good ideas. To answer the question clearly, why was the message so popular? Because it was biblical. As Wendy Alsop said, he preached the Bible. Now, he packaged it in some of the most flawed ways. How many ways can I preach in an awful way? How many bad words can I use? How many threats can I make? How authoritarian can I be? He was a bad pastor. But many of the ideas, I'm not saying everything he ever said was good, but Reformed theology is good. Complementarianism is good. If you dismiss the good ideas and the imperfect pastor, well then, well, that's not discerning. He pokes you in the eye with the sermon title, but the actual content was life-giving. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.